The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. We're going to read Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Wonderful words. Okay, we are today in, we're going to finish Deuteronomy 32 today. Deuteronomy 32, 44 through 52. It's entitled, Because You Did Not Hallow Me. So starting in verse 44. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Avarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho, to view the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession. And die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. Because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there, into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. One of the things that never ceases to surprise me is when someone who has been watching our sermons for a length of time, as much as multiple years, will email me, call me, or ask me about some point or another that stems from modern day Judaizers the Hebrew Roots Movement, and asks if that point is true. We talk frequently about doctrine in our sermons and in Bible studies. We've discussed positive things like eternal salvation and negative things like reintroducing the law in part or in whole. There are some things I've mentioned only a few times, and I can see how someone might have missed that point or maybe forgotten it. I've forgotten, and I admit this openly, a ton of what I have taught in the past myself. Maya, every single day, posts on a YouTube channel called Bible Bites from the Superior Word things that she has taken out of sermons I did in the past or from Bible studies that I've done in the past or even recent Bible studies. And I will watch them and think, I never thought of that. In other words, I preached on it and I've completely forgotten it. No kidding. The Bible is a big, big book, so I understand when people forget points of doctrine. But there are other things that have been brought up in this church so often and so directly 
that I'm not sure how anyone who has seen more than even a handful of sermons or studies could fail to get what I am conveying. This doesn't mean they agree or disagree with me on those points. I'm referring to not knowing what I teach on them. How anyone could ask me, hey, Charlie, I heard someone say that we should not be eating pork. Is that correct? (laughs) When I hear something like that, I have to wonder if that person has paid attention for even one sermon. Our text first comes from Hebrews 7. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The meaning of the words of our text verse is that the law, meaning the law of Moses, is annulled. The word means nullified, voided, repealed, and so on. The reason why that occurred is because, as the author says, it was, one, weak, and two, it was unprofitable. The law was incapable of making anything perfect. And so Christ, who was already perfect, brought it to an end. It is done. For more clarification on that, please also read Hebrews 8.13 and Hebrews 10.9. And you can also read Colossians 2.14, and you can also listen to next week's Resurrection Day sermon, because I assure you I'll be talking about that. There is no part of the law of Moses that we are bound to, not a single precept. Rather, we learn from the law about Christ, and then we come to Christ and learn our doctrine and our theology from New Testament epistles. If there is nothing else that you ever learn from the superior word, please hear this. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. Do not listen to these Hebrew roots people or to anyone else who reinserts precepts of the law of Moses into their new covenant theology. Reject them. And yes, tithing is a precept of the law of Moses too. Eat your pork, forget about tithing, and hold fast to Jesus. That's it. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have three thoughts for you today. The first is, for it is not an empty word from you. It's verses 44 through 47. The Song of Moses was completed in last week's sermon, but it is referred to in our first verses today. As it is his swan song, and because I would like you to hear it as I translated it, I will read it to you before we enter into the sermon verses. Now, I am not saying that this is a better translation. It's not. It's just more literal. Where Moses uses a verb as a noun, that is what I have done. Or where he uses a noun instead of an adjective, that is what I have done. Therefore, it is probably less understandable, but it is more precise than you might otherwise hear. And yes, I am sure that there are errors in this. I'm a fallible guy, just like every translator of the Bible since the Bible came through the prophets and apostles of God. But this is my best effort of translation after about 50 hours of study. So I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Not only is it literal, probably the most literal translation you will ever hear, but it will also carry exactly the same meter as the way Moses gave it. And if you remember in those sermons, I gave you all of the structure. That structure should be understandable to you, even if you don't get all of the wording and the the phraseology. 
starting at verse 1. Give ear you, the heavens, and I will speak, and hear the earth, words, my mouth. Let drop as the rain my teaching, stream as the dew my speech, as showers upon the tender grass, and as abundant drops upon the tender herbs. For name Jehovah I invoke, ascribe you all greatness to our God. If you see anything in italics or in brackets, I inserted those because you would not understand otherwise. Only very minimal insertion for clarity. The rock, perfect his work. For all his ways, just God of stability and no unrighteousness. Righteous and upright, he, he, meaning Israel, has corrupted himself, not his sons, their blemish, generation twisted and warped. Do to Jehovah you all do this? People foolish and no wise. Not he, your father, your purchaser? He made you and established you. Remember days antiquity. Mentally scan years, generation and generation. Ask your father and he is to declare to you, your elders, and they will say to you. In bequeathing most high nations, in his separating sons of man, he establishes boundaries, peoples, to number sons, Israel. For portion Jehovah, his people, Jacob, line his inheritance. He finds him in a land, a wilderness, and in chaos, a howling wasteland. He encompasses him. He educates him. He guards him as little man his eye. As eagle wakes up his nest, over his young he flutters, spreads his wings, he takes him. He lifts him up on his pinions. Jehovah alone, he leads him, and know with him God foreign. He makes him ride upon high places earth, and he eats produce fields. And he makes to suck honey from crag and oil from flinty rock. Curd, cattle, and milk flock with fat lambs and rams, sons of Bashan and goats, with fat kidneys, wheat, and blood grape, you drink wine. And he grows fat, Yeshurun, and he kicks. You grew fat, you grew thick, you are bulging. And he deserts God who made him, and he humiliates rock his salvation. They move him to jealousy in strangers. In abominations, they are provoking him to indignation. They are sacrificing to the demons, not God. Gods, no, they knew. Newbies, from near they came. No, have they dreaded your fathers. Rock brought forth you, may you forget. And you have forgotten God in travail with you. And saw Jehovah and spurned from provocation his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end. For generation contrariness, they children, no trustworthiness in them. They provoked me jealous in no God. They have moved me to indignation in their bubbles. And I, I will provoke them to jealousy in no people. In nation foolish, I will move them to indignation. For fire kindled in my nostril and shall burn even to Sheol lowest, and consume land and her increase, and inflame foundations, mountains. I will amass upon them evils, 
My arrows I will expend in them. Emaciated hunger and consumed fever and depletion bitter and fang beasts I will send in them. With a burning reptiles dust from out shall bereave sword and from inner chambers dread. Also young man, also virgin, suckling with man advancement. I have said, I will blow them away. I will cause to cease from mankind memory them. If not provocation enemy, I would abide, lest should discern their adversaries, lest they will say, our hand is exalted. And know Jehovah who accomplished all this. For nation devoid prudence they, and know in them understanding. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would consider to their latter end. How could chase one a thousand and two cause to flee a multitude? For their rock had sold them, and Jehovah delivered them. For know like our rock, their rock, and our enemies, judges. For from vine Sodom, their vine, and from fields Gomorrah, their grapes, grapes of poison, clusters bitter to them, burning of serpents, their wine, and poison vipers, cruel. They not stored with me, sealed in my treasuries, to me vengeance and recompense, to time shall waver their foot, for near day their calamity, and hasten readied things to them. For will judge Jehovah his people, and upon his servants he will comfort. For he sees, for his disappeared hand, and none restraining and relinquishing. And he said, Where are their gods? Rock they refuged in. Who fat their sacrifices they eat. They drink wine their libations. They arising, and they helping you. May it be over you, haven. See now, for I, I he, and no God with me. I, I terminate, and I life sustain. I have shattered, and I heal, and no from my hand deliver. For I lift up unto heavens my hand, and I say, live I to eternity. If I whet brilliance my sword, and grasps in judgment my hand, I will return vengeance to my adversaries, and to those hating me, I repay. I make drunk my arrows from blood, and my sword devours flesh, from blood slain and captives, from head freeman enemy. Rejoice, you nations, his people, for blood his servants he will avenge, and vengeance he returns to his adversaries, and he has atoned his earth, his people. Praise the Lord. Verse 44. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. The order of words in the New King James Version doesn't really convey the sense of the Hebrew. Plus, the Hebrew reads Hoshea, not Joshua. It more literally reads, and comes Moses and speaks all words of this song in the ears of the people, he and Hoshea, the son of Nun. The name Hosea is used only three times when referring to Joshua. It is seen elsewhere in Numbers 13.8 and Numbers 13.16. In the latter, it says, These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. The name Hosea means salvation. However, where the prefixed H at the beginning of the name is from is debated. 
It could be the definite article, meaning the salvation. It could also be affixed as a sort of exclamation. Think of the H, huh, like an exclamation you're breathing out. If so, Abarim renders the name, yo, saved. <laughs> Moses is the principal who has come forth and spoken out the words. Hosea has come with him, being only incidentally noted. He probably sat with Moses, but the reading was accomplished by Moses. However, this is perfectly in accord with the words of verse 31, 19, where the command to write down the words of the song was stated in the plural, indicating both Moses and Joshua. Here's what it said. Now, therefore, write, plural, down this song for yourselves and teach singular it to the children of Israel. Put singular in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Moses and Joshua were to write it, meaning probably that Moses spoke it forth while Joshua wrote. Thus, both are participating. And then Moses was to teach it and put it into their mouths. Thus, what is recorded now is a precise fulfillment of that. As for the name Hosea, salvation, instead of Yehoshua, which means the Lord is salvation, (laughs) regardless of any other reason, This absolutely identifies that it is the same person who had been faithful 40 years earlier and who had stood on the side of the Lord when all the spies and the people had rebelled against him. Hosea was designated to go into Canaan. At that time, Moses called him Yehoshua, a name he has been called since. However, just prior to entering the land, he is once again designated by his original name, Hosea. Now, before I go on, I will qualify this and say, yes, Caleb was also on the side of Hosea, but the account right now is focusing on Joshua. It is thus not unlike Jacob, who was twice named Israel. That happened in Genesis 32, 28, and then again in Genesis 35, 10. In this, Hosea, Yehoshua, salvation, Yah is salvation, we see hints of Jesus, Yeshua, who is salvation, and who is the Lord, Jehovah, who is salvation. Jesus came to save his people because he is the Lord who saves his people. In this verse, and in the surrounding picture of events, there is this rather incredible expression of what God is doing. The Lord speaks his words to and through Moses, he who draws out. It anticipates the Lord Jesus drawing out the will of the Lord, his standard. Joshua, meaning Yah is salvation, is God in Christ. He is there, included in the writing of the word. The Lord, Yehovah, is expressing himself through the word. Now the name is changed to Hosea, salvation. He is there receiving the word. The humanity of Jesus receives the word and he embodies it. Moses cannot enter the promise but must die outside of it. Christ Jesus dies in fulfillment of the law, and the law dies with him. Jesus, salvation, rises as the giver of the new covenant, confirming that he is the Lord, Jehovah, who is salvation. How do you express all of what Christ Jesus is doing? You introduce several figures to represent the various roles, like Moses and Joshua. And in the middle of the process, you introduce a secondary name, Hosea to indicate the role he will then fulfill in a unique way. In other words, everything that you just saw anticipates Christ in one of his many roles. Everything. 
The entire process is just at the edge of what the mind can grasp, but it is clear enough to reveal exactly what God would do in Jesus Christ, the God-man. As for Hosea's father, Nun, and as already noted, it is the confirmation that this is the same family and he is the same faithful person noted back in Numbers. And more, it is also a confirmation of what the Lord will do. Nun is from the verb nun, meaning to propagate or to increase. This is what Christ would do, increasing the family of God through his completed work. As for the law itself, which includes the speaking forth of the song, verse 45, Moses finished speaking. Vekal Moshe Ledaber, and finished Moses to speak. The meticulous recording of the fact is given to show complete and absolute obedience to the previous command. Nothing directed by the Lord has gone by the wayside, including the speaking out of, verse 45 continues, all these words to all Israel. The voice of Moses personally spoke out the words to those who represented all of Israel. Hence it is to all Israel not just at this time, but for all time. In his speaking forth the words, and in the recording that he has done so, it stands as a witness for all Israel for all time. This is certainly the sense that should be derived here, and it is reflected in what he next says. Verse 46, and he said to them, set your hearts on all the words. The Hebrew is direct. Set to your hearts to all the words. The heart refers to the mind, the seat of reasoning. Moses is telling them that they are to take the words and set them to their minds, meaning fixing them there firmly. This must be considered a command in and of itself. And as such, to fail to do so, which is something anyone who has not completely memorized them is guilty of, then is its own violation of the law. The impossible trap of non-compliance is practically written into what is said. Hence, what it said back in Hebrews. The law was insufficient. It was incomplete, and it had to be annulled. It makes the knowledge of God in Christ all the sweeter to consider. Moses is referring to the words, verse 46 continues, which I testify among you today. The verb ud comes from a root signifying to duplicate or repeat. It is that which comes around again. In other words, Moses is bringing around again that which he received. He's duplicating it in the ears of the people. It is that which the Lord spoke to Moses using the noun form ed in the previous chapter. Here's what it said in Deuteronomy 31. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourselves and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a ed, a witness for me against the children of Israel. When I have brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, of which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and filled themselves and grown fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them, and they will provoke me and break my covenant. Then it shall be when many evils and troubles have come upon them, that this song will testify against them as a ed, a witness, for it will not be forgotten in the mouths of their descendants." For I know the inclination of their behavior today, even before I've brought them to the land of which I swore to give them. Thus, they are the very words of the Lord, and they are those same words. Verse 46 continues, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. The words continue in the plural. You all shall command. It is a directive not just for the nation in general, but everyone in the nation in particular. 
The people were to learn the words and they were to command them to their children. The unceasing nature of the mandate is clearly noted right here. It's rather tragic too, because if you were to ask the most basic question of the law to almost any Jewish person today, they might, and I emphasize that with a question mark, they might get the names of the books of Moses right, and that's about it. They won't get much more. The utter failure of their keeping of the law is reflected in this. And the sediment today is that found at the time of Jeremiah. Here's what Jeremiah quoted the people saying. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, That is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. Why was it hopeless? It's because the law is impossible to meet. That's why. This is the burden of the law and it is that which was intended to conduct the people to Jesus. This was its true and ultimate purpose. The law, with all of its stern warnings of impending doom and judgment, is actually a letter of love pointing the weary soul to the restful abode which is found in the presence of Jesus Christ. But the law had to serve its time and have its purpose fulfilled. Until that time arrived, and until it was finally completed by him, it was to be a guard for the people. Verse 47, for it is not a futile thing for you. Though nobody translates it this way, not one of about 40 translations that I looked at, the preposition is from, not for. And more, it bears an emphasis. Kilo davar rek hu mikem. For not word empty it from you. Therefore, this is not speaking directly about Moses' words to them, but the repetition of Moses' words to the children. That's what's being conveyed here. Set your hearts on all the words which I command you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing, for from you, because it is your life, and by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. That one preposition is mistranslated by all translations, and it makes a huge difference in what is being conveyed. It's not only their responsibility now, but into the future. The point here is that Israel is, in fact, going to go over to possess the land. But that possession will end if the word is not extended to those who come after this generation. The same thing is true in churches, folks. If you have kids and you're not teaching your children about the Lord, they are putting up with what they are being taught that I showed you in the update today and all of the perverse things going on in the world. You've got five minutes with them a day. They have eight hours with them a day. You cannot compete unless you instill the word of God into your children now. Therefore... It is that Israel hears the word and applies it, but also passes it on. It is, verse 47 continues, because it is your life. Again, it bears an emphasis. Ki hu chayechem, for it, your life. This is the last time that this thought is expressed in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, it's the last time that the word chay or life is spoken forth in the entire book. And it is directly speaking of the word. The word is equated to the life of the people. But what is the word that it can bear such power? The word who 
or it is a masculine pronoun, but because it is speaking of the word, the law, it is rendered it. However, in understanding one's New Testament theology properly, one cannot help but see more clearly what was on John's mind as he opened his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. It is hard to imagine that John was thinking of anything other than exactly this. Though written in Greek, John's thinking was that of a Hebrew. Today, when the New Testament is translated into Hebrew, the same word, davar, is used when translating John 1.1. It is certainly referring to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment, the physical manifestation of the word of God, which is expressed through the law, which Moses has put forth. Jesus explicitly said this to the people in both John 5, 38 and 39 and in John 5, 46. Therefore, to reject the word Moses conveys is to then reject everything anticipated in the coming of Christ. And to reject Christ when he came is to utterly reject the Lord God. As such, verse 47 continues, and by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land. It does not say in the land. Rather, and in the word, the, this, you shall prolong days upon the ground. This is speaking less of Israel possessing Canaan itself than it is speaking of the people possessing life upon the ground. What good would it be to possess the ground if the ground was barren, dried up, and dead? The people would die from famine. This is what is being more directly conveyed in these words. Thus, life of the last clause is what is being connected to prolonged days here. And that is upon the ground, verse 47 continues, which you cross over the Jordan to possess. As has been seen before, there's a sort of pun being conveyed here where the verb translated as cross over is used. Which you crossers over the Jordan there to possess. The word overim or crossers over is identical in spelling to Ivrim or Hebrews. Hebrews are those who have crossed over and these now are the crossers over. As such, the typology of Christ is perfectly evident. Those who cross over the Jordan, which pictures the coming of Christ, the incarnation, are those who are the true Hebrews. Israel is simply living out in type that which is more perfectly expressed in the person who comes to God through Jesus Christ. It is your life and your length of days. Hold fast and cling to it, not in part, but in whole. It is the guide to lead you always and is the protector of your very soul. Let this word dwell in you richly, always. Let your mouths express it in songs, psalms, and hymns as well. Let it be the path upon which you walk all your days. This word of life, it is your life, so to you I tell. Cling to this word, the word of God that he gave for us. Let your mouths confess him. He is your life and length of days. Come to the word, come to the Lord Jesus, and he shall guide you forever even for eternal days.
our second thought today, because you did not hallow me. It's verses 48 through 52. Verse 48, then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, the words that very same day are from the Hebrew, be'etzem hayom hazeh, in bone, the day, the this. It is an idiomatic expression found several times in Genesis through Leviticus, but this is the only time it's stated in Deuteronomy. The expression in bone means exactly the same. Coming from Adam's proclamation where he was presented with his wife, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. To identify something in bone means that it is that and none other. As such, this is referring to the fact that Moses spoke out the words of the song and on the exact same day, he was given the instructions that are just ahead. They are a close repeat to the words of Numbers 27. Here's what it says there. Now the Lord said to Moses, go up into this Mount Abarim and see the land which I have given to the children of Israel. And when you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the congregation, you rebelled against my command to hallow me at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zim. With that brought to memory, the narrative continues with verse 49. Go up this mountain of the Abarim. Ale el har ha'avarim hazeh. Go up into Mount the Abarim, the this. Moses is instructed to go into the Mount of the Abarim. The word comes from avar, meaning to pass over, by, or through. The im at the end is a plural marker, like our s. Thus, it is the crossings over, or the regions beyond. They are in the regions beyond Canaan, and Canaan is actually the point of reference. The specific mount is then next stated. Verse 49 continues, Mount Nebo. The name Nebo is likely, most likely derived from Navi or prophet. Thus, it means something like prophet, interpreter, spokesperson, or foreteller. Another word it is connected to is Nava, meaning high or prominent. It is to the high places that people would go in order to get nearer to God and to receive a word from him or to make a sacrifice to him. As such, a secondary meaning is height. Therefore, it would be a high place where someone would go to receive a word, a vision, or a prophecy, and so on. That is actually very fitting for this occasion. Verse 49 continues, which is in the land of Moab. The words are spoken to Moses who is in the land. He is not unaware of that fact. As such, the name is a reminder to him that he will not enter Canaan. He is dying in the land known as from father, which is, verse 49 continues, across from Jericho, Alpene Yerecho, upon face Jericho. The meaning is facing Jericho. When on the mountain, the immediate site would be the city. The name Yerecho, with various spellings in the Old Testament, has a dual significance. It means city of the moon, and it means place of fragrance. It is from this place the Mount of the Prophet, also known as the Mount of Height, looking toward the place of fragrance that Moses will, verse 49 continues, view the land of Canaan. The name Canaan is derived from the word Kana, meaning to humble or to subdue. That comes from a root signifying to bend the knee. 
Thus, it signifies something like humiliated or humbled or even subdued. It is also connected to the word signifying a merchant. It is this land, verse 49 continues, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession. It is the land of promise, the land of inheritance, and the land that will become the possession of Israel. The original intent was that it was to be the place of rest, but that was only so far as it is typical of the true place of rest, which was lost at the fall of man. Israel is the redeemed nation, and the land in that state of having been redeemed is Canaan. Everything being stated here, every single word, and everything which occurs is given in typology. It anticipates the coming of Jesus Christ, his work, and what that work then makes available to those who receive it. As for Moses, that is not the case. Verse 50, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. The Lord specifically brings in the matter of ascending. The word is Allah, being on a mountain and dying, just as Aaron died on Hor Hahar, or Mount of the Mountain. A one-to-one comparison to what happened to Aaron is being made concerning Moses' own death. Verse 51, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel. The word because gives the sense, but it reads more precisely, saying, Al-Ashur me'al-tem be'betok b'nei Yisrael upon which you, plural, both of you, acted treacherously against me in midst children Israel. Using this form, al-ashur, upon which he is linking it to their ascent, the word Allah. The two words are connected, the one, al, coming from the other, Allah. It thus helps explain why Aaron and now Moses had to ascend at their deaths. Their defiance was, verse 51 continues, at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. The name Meribah is derived from what occurred. There was riv, or strife, and so the name of the place was called Merivah, meaning place of quarreling. The name Kadesh comes from the verb Kadash, meaning hallow, or set apart. Thus, the whole name would signify something like sacred place of quarreling. That is said to be, verse 51 continues, in the wilderness of Zin. The wilderness is a place of testing. Zin means thorn, but it also is connected to a word signifying a place of dryness. As such, it is where the thorn would flourish. This is where they were to draw water from the rock by speaking to it, but they failed to do so. Verse 51 going on, because you did not hallow me in the midst of the children of Israel. Again, the Lord repeats the words of the first clause, Al-Ashur lo kidashtem oti betok b'nei Yisrael, upon which know you, plural, both of you, hallowed me in midst sons Israel. Putting the corresponding thoughts side by side can help you see exactly what is being conveyed by the Lord to Moses. Go up, Allah, into mountain, and die on the mountain which you ascend, Allah, upon which, Al-Ashur, you acted treacherously against me in midst sons Israel. And then again, upon which, Al-Ashur, you did not hallow me in midst sons Israel. The law, Moses and Aaron, representative of the law, is the problem that must be rectified, and it must occur before. This is an important point and why I brought up the introduction of this sermon. 
stay away from Hebrew roots, and so on. It must occur before Israel can enter into the possession. Having said that, a note of grace is extended to Moses in his ascent. Verse 52, yet you shall see the land before you, ki mi neged tire et haaretz, for from before you shall see the land. The meaning is clear. Moses will look forward from the ascent and he will front his face to Israel, viewing it from a distance. Verse 52 finishes with these words, though you shall not go there into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. The sentence of dying outside of the land of promise was pronounced. It will not be amended. Moses, who represents the law, will see the land from a distance, but he will not enter into what the sons of Israel shall receive. You shall die outside the inheritance because you did not hallow me. Even when I gave you every chance, you were unable to perform accordingly. There is a disconnect that must be corrected. The law must first be taken away because there is a flaw that has been detected. And so it must be this way. It is by the law that comes the knowledge of sin. And in that knowledge, all become guilty before me. Through the law, one is completely done in. If you don't get that, look to the cross and you will see. I, the Lord, will accomplish all that needs to be done when I give of myself in the giving of my son. Our third thought today, pictures of Christ. As we progressed through the verses, there has been some explanation of what is going on. But to draw it all together and without trying to stretch the meaning too far, Each word of the second section is intended to fit together to form a story. Moses, he who draws out, meaning the law from the Lord, is to ascend the mountain of the regions beyond, the Mount of Height, which is in the land of from Father, across from the place of fragrance. And there he will view the land of the humbled, the place where the children of Israel are set to possess. Moses anticipates Christ, who ultimately draws out the word of the Lord, being the very word of God. The law must come first in order to anticipate him. In order for the children of Israel to enter the promise, though, there must be a change in the structure of things. A promise was already made to Abraham concerning the inheritance. It was based on faith, not on the law, as Paul says from Galatians 3.18. For if the inheritance is of the law... It is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. This must be resolved then. The law is contrary to the promise. The law is not of faith at all. The two are diametrically opposed. As this is so, Moses is given to anticipate what actually occurred in Jesus Christ. It was Christ Jesus who went to the regions beyond, outside of the promise. He is the prophet who came from the Father and who embodied the law that came from him while in the place of fragrance, meaning heaven, meaning the land of the humbled remained at a distance. But it is set apart for the children of Israel. Their inheritance is emblematic of those who will enter the promise once the law is dealt with. The land of the humbled, meaning Canaan, represents those who have humbled themselves before God in Christ. That is seen in several ways in the New Testament, but a couple of examples will show you this. From Ephesians 3, For this I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
That's what the word kana means, to bow the knee. And thus it means humbled or subdued or etc. Another one from Romans 14. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. This is the goal, the hope of those who come to Christ. But as I said, before one can enter the place of fragrance, heaven, the law must first be dealt with. That is seen in the words concerning Aaron and Moses. Both of them had to ascend mountains where they would die. Aaron ascended Hor Hahar, or Mount of the Mountain. Moses ascended Mount Nebo, or Mount of Height. The symbolism seems somewhat obvious. They both have represented the law. Together, they violated the word of the Lord, destroying the typology of salvation by faith in the completed work of Christ. They were told to simply speak to the rock and water would issue forth, as was recorded in Numbers 20. Great sermon if you didn't see it. The rock pictured Christ in his exaltation and water was to issue forth by the simple word of faith. Instead, they struck the rock as they had back at Horeb. But that pictured Christ in his suffering. What they did by striking and not speaking was not of faith at all. It shows that the law is not of faith. It is a path of working one's way to God, doing things in an attempt to receive what he instead freely offers. The work of the law was done by Christ Jesus. To instruct us more fully on this, Moses and Aaron, typical of the law, had to ascend under their own strength to the high place, and there they died outside of the promise. Their act of disobedience was recorded to highlight Christ's perfect obedience. He lived out the law, and he embodied the law. But the law is not of the inheritance, is it? And so Christ had to die in fulfillment of it. Without that, none could enter the promise just as Israel under Moses could not. If you can stretch your mind a bit, think of Moses on Mount Nebo and of Christ on the cross. What does Paul say about that moment as he died? He says in Colossians 2, And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. That means wiped out the law of Moses, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way. Think of Moses dying outside of the land. Think of Jesus dying on the cross in fulfillment of the law, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Moses looked with longing at the land of promise, stretching his vision out to see what Israel would receive. Christ, the embodiment of the law, looked forward to what we would receive. Until he died, the inheritance remained distant and inaccessible to us, and indeed, even to him. He had to complete what was set before him. Moses ascended and looked. Jesus ascended and looked. Moses was to die because he failed to provide the word of faith. Jesus died so that he could provide the word of faith and so that we could receive what that word of faith offers. The lesson of Moses is one that escapes a large portion of the people of the world. You cannot do in order to receive the inheritance. 
you must receive by speaking the word of faith. Everyone is doing and doing in order to get what has already been done. And because it was done by God in Christ, there can be no more doing. When Paul said that the law was nailed to the cross, he means exactly that. Jesus Christ, the embodiment of this law, and the one that Moses eventually saw after he realized his own shortcomings, was nailed to the cross. What was given through Moses was spoken forth by God. Christ is the one that spoke it out. Christ is the one it spoke of. And Christ is the one that completed that spoken word. He hung on the cross, nailed to it, and he took away that law, meaning his own life through death. In his death, he not only annulled one covenant, but he established another. If anyone thinks that Israel entered Canaan through law observance, they have not read the Bible. The priests bearing the ark stepped by faith into the rushing waters of the Jordan, and the waters stopped, allowing them to enter. That was an act of faith in the power of the Lord, and that ark was only a representation of the place where propitiation is made between God and man, the dead body of Jesus Christ. Everything comes back to the thought of the cross. Everything. It is only through that marvelous spot where Jesus died that our heavenly hope is finally realized. The law was the obstacle. Christ removed that obstacle, and then he entered into his glory, making the way possible for us to enter with him. This is the word of faith which we preach and by which you are saved. Be sure to accept that word. Believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead. In this the things of life will go well with you. This is the hope that we possess, and this is the hope that we're going to talk about next week. The greatest day in all of human history came when Jesus Christ was not only nailed to the cross, but he came out of that grave. It's the greatest thing that ever happened in all of human history. He came out of that grave. And that promise is now open to any person that will simply believe by faith. These poor people, I got an email this week from a Hebrew Roots Movement person that must have been two pages long, small letters, just packed with stuff. And I sent back to him, and I said, please don't send this nonsense to me. I said, you need to grow up, because that is not where salvation is found, is working your way to heaven. There's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that is through what he has done. As I said, we keep trying to do, and we keep trying to do, and he's already done it. What do you want to do? Say, oh God, thanks for trying. I can do better. Watch me work. It doesn't work, folks. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ rose again. We're not in that equation at all, except in his love of us in his mind. I'm going to do this for them because he didn't have to do this, but he did it for us. Please believe the simple gospel, put away your works of the law, and be reconciled to God through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ, okay? I have a closing verse for you from Colossians chapter 1. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, meaning in Jesus Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead was in Jesus Christ, and by him, Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. It's all about Jesus Christ, everything. 
Next week is Matthew 27, 23. Pilate asks about God's only begotten son. It's entitled, What Evil Has He Done? That'll be a Resurrection Day sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? When I say that he has expectations of you, one of those for you is to learn his word. Ron and Shannon were driving from their home, which is a long drive to get here today, and they listened to the Romans Bible study from a long time ago. And she made all these comments, oh, Jim's not going to be there today. She thought he, he was playing this week's Bible study. And so she's saying, oh, we got to prepare music because Jim's not going to be there. And he's sitting there laughing. But they're having Bible study in the car on the way to Sarasota, Florida. He has expectations of you. That's one of them. Learn his word, please. If you, if you don't know what the Bible is telling you, then whatever the guy in the pulpit says, be it me or any other pulpit anywhere around the world, you're at his mercy. He can tell you anything and you have no reason to not believe him. Zero. Please know your Bible. I've got a question for you. You'll have to think this one through, but somebody will get it very quickly, okay? <laughs> All I want you to do is answer if you know. Don't call out anything unless you're certain, but it's very easy. Jacob had sons by four women. Which one does Paul descend from? Benjamin. Benjamin. Who is the mother? That's what I'm asking. Who? Rachel. Okay, you get one and Jim gets one. And if anybody else said Rachel, I'll give it to you as well. Paul is descended from Benjamin. Benjamin is the second child of Rachel. Very good. So I told you you'd get it. It just takes a minute to think through. Okay. we got a poem, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Because you did not hallow me. So Moses came with Joshua, the son of Nun, and spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, so that forever they would carry it along. Moses finished speaking these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law, so to you I say. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life, so to you I address. And by this word you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess." Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people. It is your final session. Just as Aaron your brother died on Mount Hor, and was gathered to his people, becoming a has-been, because you trespassed against me among the children of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, because you did not hallow me, so to you I tell, in the midst of the children of Israel, yet you shall see the land before you, though you shall not go there, as to you I tell, into the land which I am giving to the children of Israel. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us your path you have shown. 
Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful story of redemption from the law, which is opposed to us, which stands opposed to us and which brought every sin in this world into being. Because by the, by the giving of law, we have the knowledge of sin. When we violate the law, that knowledge becomes real. And it happened to Adam with one transgression, and it has plunged us into catastrophe upon catastrophe for thousands of years. But thank God for Jesus Christ, who redeemed us from the curse of the law. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who has done this for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.